Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1100 of the Juicebox Podcast. My guest today is Claudia. She is 73 years old and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 40. I want to warn everybody up front that Claudia is going to tell a long story about a long life. And there are going to be shocking... I don't even know how to tell you this. Claudia is going to talk at some point about a molestation that she went through as a child. And it is not something that I knew about before we started or that was planned to be spoken about. And so it's going to be during a free-flowing conversation. It's just going to come up and you're not going to be ready for it when it's said. So prepare yourself now. It's a small part of a very lovely life that Claudia has led. It is not her whole story. And in fact, just a very small piece of it. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Hi, I'm Claudia. I have type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed when I'm 40. I'm 73 now. Wow. You were 40 when you got type 1? Yes. And so everyone said I was type 2. Yeah, I bet you they did, especially 33 years ago. Um, Do you remember anything about the diagnosis? That's a long time ago is why I said Claudia. (laughs) Oh, I I have a whole story about the diagnosis. I, I, I would like to hear it, please. Really? Yeah, of course. Okay, well, I was working as a licensed massage therapist and a wellness educator in the first all-female medical practice in Cincinnati. It was called Deaconess Women's Care. Huh. And so I was surrounded by five physicians, two psychologists, me, a whole bunch of medical staff, nurses. (laughs) I walked around with a large bottle of Perrier. I could not get enough to drink. Mm -hmm. And I bought Perrier by the case because I could not get enough to drink. And I... My normal weight is 115, and I weighed 85 pounds. Oh, my gosh. How long do you think it took for you to lose that weight? Like over weeks or months? I'd say months. Okay. I think I w- it was coming on mm-hmm. for a long time. I, I think in, pain, uh, in college, I couldn't stay awake to study unless I stood up. So I think my blood sugar had been going up and down for years. And for years, I knew there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I stayed off wheat and I did all kinds of things. <laughs> so you were getting diabetes, so you cut out wheat? 
Well, that's what my doctor said to do. No one checked my blood sugar, not one single person. Yeah. And you think this went on for years? Yeah. I think I was in therapy because I knew I, I knew my brain didn't work right. And I got angry and tired and it was just so hard being me. Hmm. But I, I, so I went to therapy <laughs> Now I think, well, I really needed insulin, but (laughs) I was in therapy. I was doing the macrobiotic diet. I was. You were trying, right? You were doing everything you could think to do. I did my best. Yeah, no kidding. What was that, 1997? Am I right about that? No, 93? It's a lot. Yeah, so people could take blood sugar in their offices. In the mid '80s, isn't that true? Mm, I'm not sure, but I'm trying to do. I, I didn't do the math, but if you've had this for 33 years, yeah, this was 1990. Yeah, yeah. So type one management was kind of just going the way of uh, faster acting insulin in the late '80s. Testing, like in home testing, was there but it wasn't great. It was in the kind of the very beginning of like, I I believe smaller machines because in the late eighties, my friend had uh, a glucose monitor. I mean, I guess if you want to call it that, that I I mean, I have a computer that's smaller than the glucose monitor he had, you know, back then. So um, I do wonder, but no blood work. Like they didn't send you out for like a CBC, like that kind of stuff. And the same thing, was also going on um, through the years, more than five years, my left kidney always ached. Really? And I went from doctor to doctor to doctor, like every six months I'd go, I can't stand this anymore. And I'd go to someone else Mm -hmm. and they'd say, well, take antibiotics. So I'd do that. That of course just made me sicker. And I drank water and I took herbs. (laughs) One physician said, let's do exploratory surgery. Well, at least I knew not to do that. (laughs) You're like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) None of you have known anything yet. I'm definitely not letting you cut me open. So I finally decided, really, after going to, I'd say, maybe six to ten different... I would just do it on occasion. I'd say, I cannot stand this. Mm -hmm. But now I think the whole time um, my kidney was suffering. Yeah, it sounds like you just had like Lada and you had a very slow onset of type 1 diabetes. That's terrible and nobody knew. And I think my personality really was affected. And I, I... I was married at the time, and I think that poor man, it was like living with a crazy person. And you actually thought you were having mental illness, right? I actually thought I was crazy. Yeah. Well, I felt crazy. I bet. So that's why on the podcast, when people are saying, this is so hard, and my child, it's so hard, and I'm saying, please get help. Yeah. All I think... All I think the therapy did for me was it did give me skills in acting more normal. 
like I would say to myself, what would a normal person do if this was going on? And I would try to do that. Claudia, do you think that after you got your blood sugar under control that, that, that those things go away? Or did you? Oh, my God. Yeah. My whole personality got, it became much easier to be myself. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, I'm always still wanting to make amends to everyone I who dealt with me during those years. Yeah. But you it wasn't you, really. You well, know. it wasn't me, but it sure looked like me and acted like me. And <laughs> I'm still responsible for the people and my behavior, yeah. even though, yes, my life got easier. I thought I was a compulsive eater because, you know, when you're low, you're like, <sighs> and even when I'm high, I want to eat. So I think I was always low or high. So I was in uh, doing Overeaters Anonymous because I was sure I was a compulsive eater. Hmm. But now I never am. And that's something. Yeah, just that fluctuation of insulin can can really impact your hunger. That's for a person who doesn't have diabetes as well. It just, my whole life got easier and... um, I just thought, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, it's it's something how a small change can make such a big difference. I'm sitting here, so I don't normally do this uh, in video. I don't usually talk to people where I can see them and they can see me. So I'm doing this for you today, which I'm happy to do. But I've lost 17 pounds, and I keep I keep looking at myself in the video thinking, that doesn't look like me. Like, it really, like, I'm, I'm like, I haven't looked like that since... I feel like three years ago, maybe. And, and and it's off-putting. Like right now, while you and I are talking, I'm having trouble. Like, anyway, just a small. And what was the small change? I've been talking about a little bit on the podcast, but I started taking Wegovi for weight loss, which is really Ozempic, but rebranded and, you know, allows doctors to prescribe it for weight loss. And I can't tell you like how different it feels just to have either, a, an, a, I guess, I guess I have now the right amount of GLP-1 in my system or my body's using it more effectively. One or the other, um, like kind of no different than a thyroid medication. Like, right? Like when people need thyroid medication, they're making T3, but they don't use it correctly. So you put in a, a an amount that kind of forces your body to take it up. And I feel like that's happening now. And just my day-to-day life is different. So I can't imagine you with your blood sugar, you know, bouncing up and and wondering if you're out of your mind, that's got to be a terrible existence. And you said a man you used to be married to, did this break up your marriage? I believe it did. Yeah. I'm so sorry. He was a good man. Yeah. Does he know? Have you been able to talk to him and tell him? Or No, he. we were married for 20 years, and I'm pretty sure most of it, I, well, I'm, the the blood sugar stuff started in college, so I was married um, my senior year in college. Jeez, hmm. well, I'm so sorry. He requested that we not be in contact, and I thought that's the least I can do to hmm. honor him. You didn't do anything it's, super uh, weird, did you, Claudia? Did you? No, no. <laughs> he didn't wake up one day with you holding a pair of scissors talking about. Something? No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. I, I controlled my behavior. Well, that's good. But it didn't, I felt weird. 
I felt like I could murder and kill, (laughs) but I never did. How long after your marriage broke up did you figure out you had type 1? Well, that's, I think, my contribution. Because when my former husband finally said he fell in love with someone else and had been in love with someone else, uh, he told me for a year and a half. So he left and I used to lie on the couch in our big house. If you take insulin or sulfonylureas, you are at risk for your blood sugar going too low. You need a safety net when it matters most. Be ready with Gvoke Hypopen. My daughter carries Gvoke Hypopen everywhere she goes because it's a ready-to-use rescue pen for treating very low blood sugar in people with diabetes ages 2 and above that I trust. Low blood sugar emergencies can happen unexpectedly, and they demand quick action. Luckily, Gvoke Hypopen can be administered in two simple steps, even by yourself in certain situations. Show those around you where you store Gvoke Hypopen and how to use it. They need to know how to use Gvoke Hypopen before an emergency situation happens. Learn more about why Gvoke Hypopen is in Arden's Diabetes Toolkit at gvokeglucagon.com slash juicebox. Gvoke shouldn't be used if you have a tumor in the gland on the top of your kidneys called a pheochromocytoma, or if you have a tumor in your pancreas called an insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk for safety information. And say, please do not let me wake up. I just, I was still undiagnosed then. Yeah. And so I I just didn't know how I could continue. Mm-hmm. And, but I kept waking up. So then I changed my prayer to, please let me find a nonviolent way to commit suicide, which now I always chuckle when I hear that because you can't commit suicide in a nonviolent way. Yeah, but, pretty much all the ways out are going to be violent one way or the other. I mean, maybe right. maybe pills, but that's neither here it's nor there. Still yeah. a violence to your of, body, of course. But, yeah, but I within I I never know the exact day I was diagnosed I don't remember that and I can't get that information but within two I'd say one or two months I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes which answered my prayer exactly which is if I screw it up I won't wake up and with insulin I always have a way to commit suicide that will be relatively easy. Hmm. How long did you feel like that? Like how long how long did you feel like oh maybe I'll make a mistake and this will be over? I was praying for a way out. But I didn't it I didn't know enough about anything like diabetes to pray for that specific thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I, I, my main lesson was, oh my gosh, what I hold in my mind, I really get. Mm -hmm. I mean, now I have a way that I might not wake up and I can leave when I want to. 
That's I didn't get cancer. I didn't get any of the things that under high stress you could have gotten. Mm-hmm. I got that diagnosis. And so, boy, I'll tell you, ever since then, I watch what I think. <laughs> you don't want to. Right. Because what if I guess what if you would have left before finding out that there was a way to honestly take care of all the problems you've been having your whole life. Right. And just insulin did that for you. Insulin did that to take care of the mood and the exhaustion and the, and the all those consequences of high and low blood sugar. But insulin realizing, I think that gave me the courage to start a new life. Hmm. Well, yeah, maybe for the first time since you were a young girl, right? You had yes. some stability and 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 you were yourself enough to think, wow, that's something. So did you, well, I guess, first of all, how did they start you with insulin? Was it, were you doing regular MPH or no? Was it? No, first they started me on metformin, but my blood sugar only came down to 300. It was 900 at diagnosis. Oh, gosh. And I was functioning. I mean, I was working full time and, Doing everything, driving, just feeling weird. But since I had always felt weird, I just kept going. Mm -hmm. The people around me before I was diagnosed, they said, two, two different people said, my one friend, Mary Lynn, she said, Claudia, you are too thin. And then my other Uh, One of the nuns at work where I was a teacher said, you look like a child from Ethiopia. My ribs showed. Right. Why was, why did I start talking about that? Uh, Well, I was wondering about what your management was like when. Oh, okay. Yes. So after they, no one took a C-peptide. Okay. But they just said. They concluded, which I now would conclude immediately, uh, you're a type one, but just because of my weight. Mm-hmm. A t- well, well, maybe I'm, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, but people make assumptions. So if you were super skinny and definitely had diabetes, but they thought type two, they might say, okay, well, you know, what's that old thinking would have been if they're not heavy, then they don't have type two. So it must, maybe it just got them thinking in the other direction. I mean, you know. Also, my age was 40. Mm -hmm. So that, I think. People weren't looking for type ones to be diagnosed at that age either. They weren't. And these were um, my friends. These, the doctors in that practice were my friends. So. They were all watching me walk around. The big joke was uh, my different friends went on a road trip with me to Atlanta. We went to Bob Evans for breakfast and I ordered a number one, a number three and a number four. And they said, Claude, you cannot eat that much. And I said, I'm holding back. Yeah. I, I could not get enough food and I could not get enough water. 
but I weighed 85 pounds. How about that? So even my one friend, Linda, who was my doctor, she took me out to breakfast once and she saw how much I ate. She said, Claude, you're eating so much, but no one put it together. Isn't that something? No. Well, eventually they did, right? So do you start with, I mean, you start with injections. Do you go to an insulin pump at some point? No, it was a long time till I went to a pump. And I forget how many years. I, I always did check my blood sugar at least 10 times a day. Somehow I knew I could not do it once I started on insulin without checking a lot. I, and, and my doctor would only give me four strips a day. Mm-hmm. And my insurance would only pay for that much. Yeah. So, so I was like dealing in in blood sugar strips in the back alleys. I mean, I somehow I bought enough strips to do it ten times a day. Did you really? You bought them on the kind of on the black market? Bought them here and there, and I just you don't know what gave you that feeling, that idea. Like I need to have more data than what I have. Was it fear? I mean, I'd be afraid. I I always try to put myself in that position. I don't know how you'd give yourself insulin without knowing what was happening. It must have been frightening. I might not have known enough to be frightened. That's something, yeah. At the the office where I worked, the medical office, when I started on insulin, they gave me a meter from the office so I could check. Because my friend Linda, the doctor, said, Claude, you have to go in the hospital. And I said, I'm not going in the hospital. The food alone will kill you. I wouldn't go in. I said, if I'm unconscious, you can take me. But I'm up walking around doing five massages a day, doing everything I do. I'm not going in the hospital. She said, well, then find yourself another doctor. We just got into it. But in the end, she said, call me every morning with your blood sugar and I'll tell you how much insulin to take. Well, now I know that was silly, too. I mean, I'm amazed I lived with the care I was. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at you now. I'm I'm very like pleased with how healthy you appear. So do you have any side of like side effects or anything long-term complications? My feet hurt sometimes. Okay. But I don't know if that's diabetes, but that just started in the last year. Mm -hmm. My feet have been hurting for a while, but that's for other reasons, I think. Uh, (laughs) um, They're actually getting better as I lose weight, which I don't think would be uh, surprising to anybody. My knee feels better too. Good. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so do you ever remarry? No. No? Did you want to? Well, I started out with the belief of now no one will ever love me with this big problem of diabetes. And my friend Linda said, oh, you're more interesting with diabetes. <laughs> She said, yes, yes, someone will love me. And actually, Linda loved me. And I'm a straight woman, but I fell in love with Linda and Linda fell in love with me. So I think that's maybe why I wasn't real afraid 
I had a doctor. Now, the doctor thought she was very good with diabetes. That was her reputation. I, and I trusted her. I said, oh, great. So I wasn't afraid because I had Linda. Wait, you and Linda were a couple? Yes, we turned into a couple. It was amazing. Oh, that's so great. How long, how long, how old were you when that happened? And how long did you? 40. I was 40. And it took a long time because I've only loved men since and before. But I think it might have been, you know, how an orphaned baby duck will long, long, or what's that word? Glam on to the first thing they see when they to love them Mm -hmm. and I think I had been feeling crummy for so long that I didn't have a capacity to love so now I'm on insulin I start feeling better there's Linda taking care of me I love her (laughs) how long were you two together we were together for two years and the the poignant part is Linda was an MD And she saw what I was doing with my body work and the different kinds of modalities I was using. And she started referring everyone to me. She said, Claude, I I don't think I'm helping people. So she knew there was a whole part of the practice of medicine that she didn't know. And she thought I knew it. And and I kind of did know things she didn't know so the two of us together we we were a pretty good team yeah and so we decided to do a study and get it published and that's how i was diagnosed i was already type one but didn't know it and functioning pretty well and we decided to do this study about depression So the way in my modality I took care of depression is a technique called craniosacral therapy because we're taught that depression is actually compression of the bones of the skull. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't have an external cause, if the depression isn't by something obvious like somebody died or something, then sometimes it is just compression of the bones of the skull. And this very gentle body work can free that. So Linda was very depressed. So she said, I want this craniosacral therapy. And she said, if someone comes to me and they're depressed, I take their blood sugar and I take their thyroid. So she said, I'll take your blood sugar and thyroid. You help me with craniosacral therapy, and that'll be the beginning of our study, is how to help depression with these two modalities. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I took the blood test, she called me at 11 o'clock that night and said, Claude, how are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm fine. She said, well, please come in tomorrow, even though it was my day off, because we ought to check this number again. This, she said, this can't be you. They just called me from the lab and said, contact this person, whoever she is, because she's probably in a coma. <sighs> and they said, this can't be you. We must have done this wrong, but it was me. 
and it was higher the next day. Hmm. And that's when she said, you've got to go to the hospital. And I said, never. And so I, I did whatever I did without going in the hospital. No kidding. Yeah. And so, but she's prescribing like your medication for you too, is your doctor like insulin, things like that, that you need, you're getting from your doctor and you just. All all I got was insulin. Okay. But anyway, I got distracted because Linda had suffered from depression her whole life and she ended up committing suicide. Oh, I'm so sorry. Years. Yeah. It was a, a huge, huge, sometimes, I mean, it's unspeakable, really, what suicide does, but it was also a huge gift because, boy, did I wake up about when somebody says they're suicidal, you better believe them. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That must still hurt even all these years later. Uh, just gives me compassion for people yeah. who commit suicide. She was suffering so much but such a good doctor mm-hmm. but when people found out she committed suicide everyone kind of was mad at her you know like god how could she do that so many people need her and that kind of lack of awareness of if someone is even thinking about suicide they're really suffering yeah So it just woke me up. And before one of uh, when we were working together and helping people at our little health center, I said, well, Linda, tell me what vitamins to take. I mean, you're the perfect person for me to have right now because I need help getting well. And here was her gift. Claude. I am not trained to get you well. I am trained to keep you from dying. You'll have to get well some other way. Mm -hmm. And so that became my job, how to get well and stop relying on physicians to do for me what they're not trained to do. Yeah, that's very smart. It was her great gift to me. Mm Now, I think some physicians now are broadening their training and their interests to help people get well. But back in that, in Linda's day, she knew she wasn't trained to get people well. And that's why she was so depressed. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, well, Claudia, it's super, it's obvious, right? You, you, have a problem, you go to a doctor, you say, I'm having a problem. I'd like to not be having this problem anymore. You you never go to that doctor and say, hi, you're a cardiologist, for example. Um, I don't ever want to have a heart attack. So how would I do that? And if you asked a cardiologist that, they'd be like, you have to go talk to a nutritionist. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get involved in that. It's, it's really just, she's right. It's the way it's set up. And you have it to- It was the gift of my life. Yeah. You have to take care of yourself. You really do. We don't have enough information to do that. So we turn to that whole level of medicine and health, which are my herbalists, my 
licensed massage therapists, my craniosacral people, my Feldenkrais people. They're the ones who keep me well. Yeah, that's something. So how do you do that for your diabetes now, all these years later? I mean, well, let me ask you this first, actually. What do you call uh, success? Like, what are you shooting for? Uh, Blood sugars, variability, what are your goals? I'm shooting for, and this is only because of this podcast. Oh, okay. I even know enough to shoot for this. I'm shooting for an A1C in the mid fives, 95% time and range. Are you doing that? Oh, no. I, I, when I first started listening to you and heard people are going, you know, much closer to normal A1Cs, I, I went, oh, because I had been taught I'm doing great at a seven. Mm-hmm. And I was like proud of myself. I'm at a seven. <laughs> All these years, 30, however many years that was. Now I'm here and go lower. So I go to my doctor and I'm going to name names here. But this I was in Colorado at the time and I was going to the Barbara Davis Clinic, which in Denver, it's a it's a well-known teaching hospital or clinic for diabetes. Yeah, of course. So I go into my doctor and I said, look, look. I want to be 95% time and range in an A1C in the mid fives. And he said, that's impossible. How long ago was this? 2022. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. At the Barbara Davis Clinic. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not following went, that. Oh my gosh. So I know by then, you know, I'm not there to convince him of anything. Mm-hmm. So. He just gave me my next whatever I was there for. and But so now I'm starting to try to do it myself. Good for you. How are you trying to, how are you trying to accomplish that? Oh, you know, I listen to the podcast and I'm more bold with insulin. I, and I'm giving myself, I'm not letting it go so high. I do have a CGM and a Dexcom, yep. but I didn't get very good training on those. I mean, I'm just now starting to really work on my settings. And still when I eat, oh, I'm learning to pre-bolus. <laughs> that's the, that's my challenge. Remembering before you eat? Oh, I remember, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> that's very honest, Claudia. <laughs> how long? How long have you been listening to me? I started listening to you when I was in Colorado. So that means a year and a half about. And what was your A1C a year and a half ago? It was always 777. Now, on my own, I've gotten it down to 6.2. Oh, Claudia, that's amazing. I had many many days in the 85% range, but I even got one in the 98 (laughs) Listen, 80, 85 is pretty good, first of all. But, you know, that's... your grateful. Oh, a 6.2 is astonishing. Good for you. Seriously. Well, but now I know I can get in the five, so... But I, I, I still... It's luck. I don't really have this... I don't really... I um, can't predict. Now, my settings... I know my basil is good because if I don't eat anything... Mm-hmm. I'm pretty steady. Yeah. 
as soon as I eat, I eat the same thing till I got it mastered. But something's going on that I don't get. So my one of my favorite things is half an avocado on a piece of Ezekiel toast. Okay. That's a really solid breakfast. Oh, with I make my own alfalfa sprouts, so I pile those on there. And I it holds me for hours. But I ate that for like a couple weeks because it's really working. It's 2.5 units. I wait, I eat it, and I'm smooth as silk. Well, about a week ago, it stopped working. And I peaked. I spiked. Hmm. I like for hours, I couldn't get it down. And I thought, what? So now I have a new trick. And I think I heard you say this. I raise my basil for a couple of hours. So I have a new profile. It's called high. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a three unit per hour basil. Wow. Which is a whole lot. Yeah, but yeah. now I have to remember to turn that off in a half hour mm-hmm. or else I'm dealing with big lows later. What what pump do you have? T-Slim. Is, are you using Control IQ or no? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so you're doing, can you do a temp basil on it? Temporary, so it shuts off on its own? Well, I think that would be the answer, but I don't know that yet. And I'm seeing a new endo. I'm back in Ohio now, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a new endo um, tomorrow. Oh, wow. I was going to ask her, you know, it just depends when I go in. Some endos, I started calling around in Ohio for a new endo because I was going to be here. And I said, um, can you help me with my goal of A1C of 5.5, time and range in the 90s? They all said to an endo, that's not, you'll get too many lows. We That's not the way I'll pra- I can't find an endo. Yeah, you might not. So I finally decided I'll just take the endo that my insurance tells me to go to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to keep doing this myself. Now, if I had a lot of extra money, I would hire Jenny. <laughs> uh, well, I'll have to do something. But I, yeah. I have the amount of money I have. Yeah. And um, so I'm. But I mean, but Claudia, a 6.2 is fantastic. Like, I mean, it's really terrific. Like, you should be celebrating that every day. I'm not saying if you if you don't want better, if you can't work on it, but you shouldn't think of this as not a success. This is very successful. It's amazing. I'm thrilled. Yeah, I'm yeah. thrilled. Yeah. And I have a new regular MD. And she took a C peptide on me the other day when I told her my A1C. She didn't believe I'm type one. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> she's not, but she's a lovely woman, but she's not real familiar with diabetes. Claudia, be careful. Don't turn her, okay? I don't you you you're gonna get this one too? As a as a girlfriend? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I, don't- I, I just, I'm not even looking for a partner right now because <laughs> I'm I'm having this wonderful time of my life. Well, I've had a wonderful time since I was 60. I thought, honey, you are 60. 
maybe you better do what you really, really want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd always kind of done what I really wanted to do, but undone was I wanted to be with horses. Okay. And for some reason, I had a story. There's horses out West. I, I There's tons of great horses and horse trainers here in Ohio, but I had a story. I had to go out West. <laughs> so, How long did you move out there? Well, when I was 60, I just applied for a job on a ranch. At 60, with no experience, who would hire me? They did. <laughs> and how long were you there? Well, I w- it was seasonal. Most of my jobs have been seasonal. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't know. I wouldn't do that now. I don't have the energy now. But I had the idea. I just kept saying, okay, this season's over. Where are you going to go now? So I would find the next place. So I went Cody, Wyoming, Nebraska, Idaho, and Colorado, and stayed and stayed and stayed till the next thing opened up. Wow. You just made me cry a little. Do, do you it's know that? Been the joy of my life. Yeah, that's really lovely. Good for you. But I got to tell you why it's connected with diabetes. Mm -hmm, Please. And also, all through that time, somehow, diabetes just, I did have a few incidents where I went low. I never needed help with lows until I was in my 60s. And then I did pass out. And my poor people I was living with had to call 911. And that was so stressful for them. Yeah. But- uh, anyway, I first, I think, got this horse going out west idea because when I was 10, my mom sent me out to live with my uncle, who was a forest ranger in Elko, Nevada, in the Humboldt National Forest. And I was by myself. I was, 10, I was by myself. He's out doing forest ranger stuff. And I'd get up and I'd have three Hershey bars for breakfast. Then my horse tent spot would always be saddled out there and I would climb up on him and ride around till lunch. And I'd come in and I made, this was my typical lunch. I made raw cake batter and ate the whole bowl. I'm amazed I didn't have diabetes even sooner, but my mother fed us really good food. Okay. So back in Ohio, I was eating normally, but out there, man, nobody cared. I just ate what I wanted. <laughs> but I loved being out there because I didn't really get along with my mother. I had a story she didn't like me. And that may have been true. <laughs> but um, so I was thrilled to be with my uncle who was nice and gave me a horse and didn't make me do any work and I loved being out there. And I think, and but the sad part was at night, there was incest. Wait, but wait, wait. I, with my uncle. But even with that weird, I didn't know what incest was and I didn't know what was going on. But I liked my uncle and he was nice to me. So every night I felt weird, but. It was a trade-off because he got me cowboy boots and he let me drive his truck all around. And how, it how, was, how old were you then? 
I was 10, and then the next year I was 11. Wait, I'm so sorry. Claudia, let me make sure I understand correctly. He was touching you inappropriately when you were 10? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But I didn't know. I didn't know to say. I knew I didn't like that, but he was so nice in all the other ways, and he wasn't mean like my mother. So I even wrote my mother a letter and said, I want to live with George. I don't want to come home. I want to go to the Mountain City school, and but Georgia never asked me to live there. <laughs> I I wanted that. That's how much I didn't like living with my mom. How long did that go on for? Two summers. Wow, you took me by surprise. I have to be honest. That, that... But that's why I have. That's why this is after dark. Yeah. But also, I mean, it may even be. In midnight, maybe more than after dark. Honestly, Claudia, I've been thinking recently of starting up a, a string of episodes that you have to pay to listen to, and that would be <laughs> that would be very um, like just beyond what even after dark is. And I don't know, you might have just qualified just the first one. I I swear to you, like, I mean, you just like I swear to God, I thought you were mispronouncing insects. I thought you were saying the only thing I didn't like were there were insects at night. And I thought I misunderstood her. So I, I, I now we're talking. I, I need to ask you, was he raping you or touching you or no. no? Touching. I'd say, what's it called when you touch inappropriately? And this is hard for me to say, but um, he, he would ejaculate on me at night. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. And, um, but I didn't know what ejaculation was. So I thought I wet my pants and I was always getting embarrassed. I'd say, oh my God, I wet my pants. I've never done that in years. And I would go to the bathroom, change my underwear. How are you? I was all mixed up. Listen, it's 63 years later and all, but how do you have such a good Oh, I don't understand. So much therapy. Yeah. I have done more therapy out the Wahoo. Mm. And I think it really helped me. But I got to tell you this about my uncle. Because you usually ask people, does anyone in your family have type 1? You didn't ask me that. Well, no. I don't know what to ask you about your family now. But go ahead. Does anybody (laughs) in your family have type 1? My uncle was the only type 1 in my family. My uncle. Hmm. But now through all the therapy, see, I waited to do my horse and going out west thing and sagebrush. I love the smell of sagebrush. I think it took me that long to kind of just deal with the craziness of incest, which really makes people crazy. And remember the benefits of the gifts of that time in my life. And the gifts of that time in my life were horses, sagebrush, being out west. And so it made sense to me that all of a sudden at age 60, because I'm done, mm-hmm. I, 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 if uh, incest doesn't wake me up at night or I, I'm just complete with that. And now I get to do the fun stuff I learned. Yeah. Being at West, so I got to go. But the big trauma, and this is still going on. And with me, the big trauma wasn't my uncle, it was my family. 
because my uncle was the favorite uncle of our whole family. Oh, we all, we have great uncles. I mean, I really, they'll never listen to this, so I'm not going to hurt anyone's feelings, but all of our uncles are good guys. But George was the favorite because he was out West and he had a horse. I mean, the whole story. So when I got back from being out West and finally kind of woke up to, oh, what George was doing was not healthy. Yeah, not right. And started to process all that. I didn't tell anything to my family. But my family, we always tell songs and stories about George. And once I had a friend there with me, my friends all knew my incest story, but my family did not. And they said, Claudia, why is your family singing songs in front of you about the man who molested you? And I said, well, they didn't know. So then my therapist said, well, and, and my friend said, Claudia, you should see yourself. You kind of shrink away to nothing. So I said, I am going to tell. So, and I thought, I'm the oldest of 10 and a mom and a dad. So I thought my family would say, oh, we're so sorry. Of course, we won't talk about that when you're there. Right. They all got mad at me, said I was lying. My mother, especially because it was her brother. It kept going on and on. Like I'd say, just don't talk about him when I'm there. But they couldn't. For some reason, there was enough lack of respect or lack of trust in me. or And so that's when I did leave my family. How old were you and then? That, uh, when I was 60 is when it was all like, see, I don't know these years so well, but somehow it was perfect for me to go out west. Because I had to get away from this group of people who mm-hmm. so, acted like so they you're didn't... you're out west around ten years old. Maybe, oh, that maybe, first out west. Yeah, yeah, until yeah. twelve. But then when you ask your family not to speak about him any longer, how old? Uh, just generally, that was in my fifties. Really, you were an adult at that point. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my family, but led by my mother, just. My poor mom, she could not find a way to remember when I'm around. She, I don't want to hear her stories about. Yeah. So help me for a minute, though. So you're for 40 years, you have this secret from your family, but you do share it with your friends and you've talked about it in therapy. Is that right? Yeah, I was taking care of myself about that. Okay. I didn't know my family would be so have such a hard time with that. Yeah. But now what I really think is it goes back to my relationship with my mother. And uh, I think most moms would remember their kid was molested and don't bring that up. She could not. How old was she at that point? Oh man. I don't know. I mean, she's, She's um, a grown-up lady. Like it's not that she has dementia, right? I mean, I'm saying if you're 50 at that point, is she 70? 
Uh, right now, she is 96. Oh, okay. So she's 83. She's 23 years older than you. So she was your age when you were 50. She was 73 when you were 50. So, and she didn't want to hear about it. Was her brother still alive at that point? Yes. Is he now? No, he died. Can I ask you, did it make you feel any certain way when he passed away? No, I didn't. No. I just feel kind of grateful that I got to be with horses and out west. And my uncle, he clearly had a sick piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of my experience with him was he was so much nicer to me than my mother that I, you I just, just. So your experience at home was so terrible that being, but being molested by a guy who was otherwise kind to you was preferable to you. Good trade off. Oh my me. gosh. All right. Well, Claudia, I'll add that to the list of things I didn't think anyone would ever say to me. Um, I wouldn't say it was a good trade off. Yeah. And, um, but right now in this moment, I don't have a scringy feeling or a stomach ache or anything when I think of it. Mm. And I also don't have that with my mother anymore because guess what? Now my mother does have dementia. And when I I go to see her on occasion, I'm not taking the responsibility that my siblings believe I should be taking. Yeah. I don't have a deep connection. connection. Yeah, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't. But um, <laughs> but my siblings do not understand that or hear it or they they're just they have their own beliefs. Yeah. Do you do you think your uncle molested anyone else in your family? I asked because the second year I went, my little sister went with me. Hmm. And I asked her directly, did anything happen to you? And she said, no. Hmm. But I was glad she went with me because when I first told about George and my effort to say, hey, don't talk about this when I'm there. And people didn't believe me. Mm -hmm. But my sister, who was there by then, had enough memories of weird things. She spoke up for me and said to my mother, it really did happen. So my mother believed my sister, even though my mother had never believed me. But I think that just said, when I stepped back, I said, if a mother could treat her daughter like that, the break in the bond happened much earlier. Mm -hmm. We just hadn't built a bond. But the miracle is... Now, when I go see my mother, she forgot she doesn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) And her tone of voice is loving, just like she used to speak to the other children and I I could hear. It was different. Yeah. So you, the real. Now her tone of voice is really kind and loving. My gosh. I'm like, Oh, brother, I had to wait a long time to get a mom who loves me, but here she is. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, really one of the benefits of a long life, right, is that you're able to have this much distance and clarity about something that, I mean, you just described something I think would mess most people up pretty, pretty badly. And um, I mean, it's upsetting to listen to. I don't know how it would feel to have it happen. So, but you're, you feel like you're on the other side of so many things, like your relationship with your mom, you know. But I'll tell you, my mother... My story, my belief, and because you never really know, maybe she did love me, but I looked like someone she didn't love, or I, you never know. Yeah. Because she would not say. But who knows what happened to my mother? Yeah. Well, I mean, something bad happened to your, to her brother. So I would imagine some, she's had an impact just the way he did. I, I mean, and honestly, if you're 70, let's think about this. If you're 73 now, what year were you born? 49. 49. I know that one. <laughs> which makes your mom born like around the around the depression, maybe? Uh I you do the math. Well, you just said she's how old? 86? 96. 96. Jesus, hold on a second. These are bigger numbers. I, I'm gonna do some gazintas. I got three. And then I take two. Your mom's twenty three year old, twenty three years younger than you. You were born in forty nine, six. Yeah, she was born in twenty six, just after the depression. So, I bet you she didn't grow up well at all, and George either. Or and how many kids do you know? How many aunts and uncles? You had five. Five kids, broke ass people. I bet you she went through some stuff too. I'm not excusing anything, but um, I bet you they didn't grow up well. Did you ever have children? No, you know what? The oldest of 10, I never wanted children. I was so clear. <laughs> You're the oldest of 10? Yes. Holy hell. Okay. Catholics. We were Catholics. I'm not a practicing Catholic now, but Yeah, I mean, you've you've said enough that would get me away from religion too, but 10 so you Oh, 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 hold on. Do you think your mom didn't want kids? You think she was pissed at you for being no, there? No, she wanted kids. She in she high want a boy? School, Did she want a boy, you think? First? Well, I'll tell you, Scott, I've taught I've trained myself to stop spending my time trying to figure out about my mother. I hear you. Because I I was really obsessed with my mother doesn't love me. My mother I, that was my dominant stress. In my life. Yeah, yeah. It was much bigger than diabetes. Mm-hmm. It was much bigger than divorce. It, it's been the challenge of my life. But now I just am really coming to experience my mother's beliefs and stories are not my business. Okay. Yeah. It's my business to be in this moment and have a good life. Claudia, you are from another generation and I am very impressed by how you handled everything in your life. We, in an hour, in an hour, I started off thinking, I'm going to interview this nice older woman who likes to ride horses. That's what I thought I was going to do, right? And then we get on, you've been married, divorced, had diabetes undiagnosed for so long, you thought you had mental illness, you were molested as a child. Your mother didn't love you. You I, I fell in love with a woman, dated her for two years. She took her own life. 
your life is in, is so jam packed with amazing stories and pain and suffering and love and forgiveness and redemption. It's just, it's amazing. You're like a Hallmark movie, uh, plus some. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that? Well, all I know is now, and starting at age 60, when I left my mother and my family, hmm. I am happy almost all the time. I'll be damn, I bet you or are. Or at least contented. Good for you. Boy, that's amazing. I'm so glad for you. You know, like just what a wonderful, I mean, what a, what a, like your story is built of terrible pieces, but the overall story is, is lovely. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, right now I get to build this wonderful little cabin and live in one of the most beautiful parts of the woods in Ohio of all the places I've been. Ohio has the most beautiful woods. Hmm. You're building a cat. Wait, you're building a cabin in the woods. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> friends are are really building it, but I get to live in it. Wow, Claudia, are you yeah. a hippie? You think of yourself as a hippie? You don't, do I'm you? Actually, kind of conservative. You. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. That's amazing. You are terrific. I'm. <laughs> like I didn't go to Woodstock or. Um, you smoke weed. Did you know about Woodstock? Oh my God, Woodstock! I know everything about Woodstock. You're probably too young. Oh no, Hendrix was there. Fish. Who else was there? Oh, oh that doesn't God. appeal to me at all. You don't like that. No, okay. I would not think I would. <laughs> so wait a minute. So you don't? You've never smoked weed? Oh, I only smoked weed for one year of my life, and okay. that was. I don't know why my husband, my former husband, didn't want to have sex with me, but. He didn't. And um, and I loved having sex. And so I how I survived those 20 years was I had affairs and I'm not proud of that. And it was hurtful. And but what I like about myself is I had integrity. I said, I'm going to have an affair. Mm -hmm. And I say to myself now, why didn't you just get divorced? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the I had enough Catholic left in me that we don't get divorced. And my former husband had that same part. Right. But where did the weed come in, though? Hold on. Oh, well, anyway. Yeah. 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 I smoked weed for uh, with a good friend of ours. Mm-hmm. God, I still do have a shame that I did this. But that, I think, took enough down of my barriers that I had an affair with. Okay. Hey, this is an interesting question for your, because of your generation. Are you more ashamed of smoking weed or cheating? Oh, I'm more ashamed of cheating. Of cheating. Because it hurts somebody else. I have no shame about smoking weed. About the weed you didn't have any. Okay. Wow. I I just want to say, Claudia is getting a drink right now. And I want to put out there to anybody listening. When you come on the podcast, this is the level of honesty I'm looking for right here. This is your, can I curse Claudia? You're amazing. I love this. (laughs) I I swear to God, this is the greatest, like from my perspective, like you understand, like I got on this morning and I was like, oh, 73 year old lady with diabetes. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I didn't think we were going to talk about any of this. This is really this, you being on this show is what makes this show so great. So 
thank you so much. I mean, it's amazing. Like, like if I said to you right now, tell me a, a crazy story that hasn't come up yet. Does one pop into your mind? Something you've done that you think people would be like, wow, that's astonishing. Or oh, different. I know the most, something I'm the most proud that I did. Go ahead. And this was before I was diagnosed, but I'm sure I was already suffering. This is Claudia trying to reparent young Claudia. Mm -hmm. And I got interested in Montessori education. So I said, I'm going to get my master's in Montessori. I like decided that in like one minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know how, but it just was true. So I blessedly got a full scholarship at Xavier University, which is a really good Montessori training. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the staff who founded the first public Montessori school in the United States. Oh, my gosh. Good and you. now here in Cincinnati, you could go to public Montessori through high school. Wow. And the big get, and that's, I was at the foundation of that wonderful gift to this community. And now there's public Montessori schools all over the place. Yeah. But the huge gift that came from that is my best friends. And I'm going to name names. Mm. Sandy, Nancy. Suzanne, well, Jerry, we don't know her from Montessori, but her daughter became a Montessori teacher. Hmm. Those are my family. And when my family could not understand me yeah. and respect me, those women were my family. And the miracle is they still are. Wow. And wow. I have that... I'm sure they'll all listen to this and they know what we have. Hmm. It's, it's the, I think some people might feel like this about their mothers. Like, who do I go to when I really need help? And one time when Linda died, my mother said, I call my mother and I was still hoping for um, my mother to be like loving to me. And, I said, committed. I mean, I was like yeah. frantic. I couldn't. Linda committed suicide was what I was trying to get out. And my mother said, well, I hope you're finished with this lesbian thing now. Oh, my gosh. I don't and so I call my friends. This is my core group of friends, Sandy, yeah. Nancy. I said, come over here. I, I can't stay. Oh, I can't stay alive through this. And they come over and Sandy grabbed my shoulders and said, Claudia, when you need mothering, stop calling your mother. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't get that. I would. <laughs> and that's my friend, Sandy. And she's my friend and more, whatever you call that when someone is a sister. Yeah. I'm lucky that now um, some of my sisters are becoming my real sisters. Well, that's nice. Your family's kind of getting closer as you get older. Some of us. Yeah, that's excellent. 
But your yeah. life, your life is is a triumph. It really is. Like I can't. I keep coming back to that word in my mind. Like you just, you triumphantly conquer things that I think would just stop other people. You keep and you just well, going. You know. I don't want to act like they didn't stop me for a long time. No, you were clear about it. But I mean, you're still here and you're doing it, and you have a a crystal clear attitude, and it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's uplifting and hopeful. You know? Yeah, I mean, now I think because you know I need I kept that insulin. I feel like I even if you could get well from type one, there was part of me that said. But what if I ever need to check out? Like, what if I have to live under a bridge or I lose my feet or what if I can't stay? And so I thought, well, that means you can't ever get well from type one if you're going to have this story that you're going to need insulin. But now I feel like, do I trust the process of life enough? to trust the process of my death whenever that comes do i trust that all my needs cuz my my main story in my life is being amazed that all my needs are met because i'd be out west fall off a horse broke my arm i, I mean yeah. i it, especially my out west adventures i i thought my needs keep being met in these odd ways by people I didn't really know. And, and so I started to believe, oh, all my needs are met. But my life is a little odd in that some people kind of know how their needs are met by their families or their husbands. But I haven't known that. People, So people have been, I mean, hard on you, but other people have been very kind to you. Oh my God, people, more people have been kind. Have been extraordinarily out of their way, stunningly kind to me. Hmm. And then I have a few family members who, because of their own dysfunction, want to keep talking about a child abuser in front of me. Yeah, I think you should expect the kindness then. It sounds to me oh, like. Oh, I do. Yeah. But not around. There are a few family members I will not interact with. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's fair. Uh, nine nine brothers and sisters. There's got to be a couple clunkers in there, right? <laughs> well, I actually love them too, but. You don't get it back from them. To be treated respectfully. Yeah. And so um, I've, I've said kind of generally. I'd be love to meet with you and talk about these disagreements we have, but there must be a skillful third person there, yeah. like a therapist. Because if I had the skill to resolve things with you, I would have done it. Right. We wouldn't be in this spot. Well, yeah, that's very, I don't have the skill. That's very mature of you. Did any of them take you up on it? Yes, the miracle. this is the miracle of my sister, Gina. And she's going to listen to this. So uh, she'll love that I'm honoring her. But I did. I backed off from everybody. But my sister Gina and I, we did have a a pretty, I thought we had a pretty good relationship. But 
I also have compassion for her predicament. She's a middle child and the middle child, their goal is you bring peace to this family. Mm. So it was very hard for my sister to take sides. And I really actually needed someone to say, mom, stop being mean to my sister. You know, I, I needed that. But I also now I have compassion for her her innate role as a middle child. But I was in Colorado doing my horse thing and my sister was in California and my sister offered to drive and did drive from California to Colorado to meet me at the equine. I was starting to study equine therapy at that time, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful way to do therapy. You include horses instead of office furniture. You are (laughs) not the first person to bring up equine therapy on the podcast, which. Oh, I'm just very excited to combine my awareness of emotions with horses. They are much more aware than we are. Mm. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I heard somebody explain how they take their daughter to it, I think. And, you know, you care for the horse. And then I I guess the idea is that the horse kind of can feel how you feel. And then you can sort of, you can, you can like work on yourself by how the the energy you're getting back from the horse. Is that right? The horses do things they cannot be trained to do Mm -hmm. in response to people. Wow. That's really amazing. You don't know what's going to come up and I can tell you a whole nother podcast of (laughs) horse equine therapy stories but (laughs) my sister just out of her wanting to reconnect with me she drove and her boyfriend came to to um he supported her yeah from California to Colorado had the session with me paid for the session and then started back to call uh, to California. Very nice. That's very nice. So we still have some unresolved stuff, but I just say, Gina, it doesn't matter what you do from here on. Yeah, just let it go. You have money in the bank with me hmm. because of what you did. Yeah. Yeah, you can just let it let everything go and just move forward, right? Well, we don't let it go, but we both I trust that she is not, I trust that she's on my side. Yeah. And if anything comes up, it's just one of our lack of skill. Mm -hmm. And we both have skills to talk about things. So I trust I'll do whatever it takes to reconnect with Gina because she did that for me. Yeah. That's beautiful. Imagine what that dedication. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't say enough about that, honestly. That's wonderful. That's Gina. Yeah. Well, Claudia, we're over time, so I'm going to wrap up with you. But I can't thank you enough for sharing this story with me. It was really unexpected, and um, I I can't – it's just very nice of you to share it with everybody. I, you're not going to be the only person who's been through some of these things, and I think it's good for people to hear other people talk about it. So that's what I decided. I want to contribute and I want, especially my story of how my desperation to not live 
brought me type 1 diabetes. Mm. It seemed, even though it was already coming on, but. Just felt like the path, the path that you were on taught you something every step of the way. Honestly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. It's just been one amazing lesson after another. Yeah. You've had a hell of a life. I always, when I, the people come on and they say, I hate this disease. I, it's such a, you know, all the hate about diabetes. I've never hated it. Yeah. Because I feel like it, it is my lifestyle almost. Yeah. No, I mean, you can't hate who you are. If you have diabetes, it's part of you. And, you know, if you're going to hate diabetes, you're going to end up hating yourself. So there's a lot people could take from your your general attitude and, and the way you tackle things. I, I'm, I'm very glad you added it to the podcast. I want to thank you very much. Thank you for talking with me and, and letting me tell my story. Well, it's my pleasure. It really was. Hold on one second for me. I want to thank Claudia for coming on the show today and telling us her life story. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L U C A G O N dot com forward slash juice box. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juice Box Podcast private Facebook group. Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. But everybody is welcome. Type 1, Type 2, Gestational, Loved Ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording wrongwayrecording.com.